Hey, um, if you got uh, a Bible, find Mark 16 with me. Mark 16, we're going to have it on the screen if you don't have that. If you got a smartphone, you can Google it, get an app, whatever you want to do. Mark 16, and I'm going to read from uh, the CSB version this morning. But uh, um, yeah, man, Easter, so good, so exciting. And uh, it's, it's exciting to think about just the range of emotions that happens on this weekend. Um, up here on the cross, there's a sheet. And if you came to our, our Good Friday Stations of the Cross, uh, maybe you wrote on this. And uh, on this, there's the phrase, I do not know him, written on that sheet uh, multiple times as we remembered um, what Peter did, right? Denying Christ three times on that night. Maybe one of the most infamous disciples that there was did so much for the kingdom. And yet in, in the moment, he wrote, I do not know him. And um, I don't know about for you, but for me, when I was doing that uh, Friday night, just to think, to think that in so many ways, in small little phrases, uh, we share in that phrase, I don't know him. And yet, he takes those phrases and he dies for us anyway. And he doesn't just die, he comes back to life. And that's the good news of the gospel. And uh, we get to celebrate the good and the resurrection and the hope and the new life that we have in that today. So... Mark chapter 16, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then uh, it's only 20 verses, and then we're going to pray for our time in the Word together. It says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And looking up, they noticed that the stone which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. So they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment uh, overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Early on the first day of the week, after he had risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him as they were mourning and weeping. Yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. After this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported to the rest who did not believe them either. Later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in tongues, they will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the accompanying signs. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I just come to you praying that um, on this day that we would hear from you about your son Jesus. Um, Father, Help me to be a messenger. Uh, I pray that the Spirit would 
uh, reveal to each of us the truth of your word and who you are. And uh, Father, I pray that each of us in this place would decide to trust you with all of our lives, all of our hearts, souls, and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My, uh, my eighth grade year, my tiny little high school, we were not the pretzels, but we were the cougars. That was much tougher. Uh, my eighth grade year, my tiny high school won the uh, sectional basketball uh, playoffs, right? That's like the first round of playoffs up in Indiana. And um, it was the first time, uh, to my knowledge, that our school had done it. And when it happened, uh, all the teens stormed the floor. Cheerleaders cried because that's what cheerleaders do. Um, <laughs> I'm married to a cheerleader. It's okay. I can say that. And she still coaches cheerleaders. They cry. So they cried. It's, it's, yeah, we don't get into that conversation about it, whether or not it's a sport or not. That's, it's a sport. Yes. <laughs> so that was happening. And the ball players, they're acting like maniacs and they're cutting down the nets. It was, you know, you, you can kind of picture the scene. And as the teams and, and uh, the team and the fans are celebrating on the floor, coach, because that's how he was my coach the next year. Coach gets on the mic and he announced, Listen, I am so excited. It is my honor to invite all of you back to North Davies High School to continue celebrating this huge victory. He's like, The team's going to be there shortly. They're going to be escorted by the police. I'm in eighth grade. Like, I'm excited. I know that I get to be on this team. Like, several of the guys who just won are going to be on my team the next year. So I run up into the stands where my parents are waiting. And I'm like, Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? I told you a little bit about my dad last week. He's a little bit of a bump on a log. And I get the notorious parent answer, we'll see. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, we just won the sectional, Dad. Like, let's just go to the party. We'll see. All right. So we get in the car. We sit in the parking lot. Cars are filing out because, you know, you got to get in the line and all this craziness. And I'm sitting in the back. I went with the silent tactic. You know, like there's the pestering tactic and there's the silent tactic. I went with the silent one. I'm like, maybe if I just don't say anything, they'll decide that it's a good idea. So I'm sitting in the back silently, and um, as we made the 20-minute drive back to our school, like, I'm getting amped. I'm not saying anything. We start seeing cop cars' lights. Like, you know, they're getting ready to usher the team in. I'm just like, oh, man, come on, come on, come on. Let's go to the party. We come to this intersection. And at this intersection, I know, based on which way my dad goes, whether or not we're going to the party. Don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. Don't ask again if we're going to go. If we go straight, we're going to the party. If we turn right, we're going home. Dad knows this too, so he starts messing with me. (laughs) Tapping the brakes. And then he goes straight. We're going to the party. I was like, man, Dad, I'm so excited. Thank you for choosing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, And I was so excited that my dad had made the decision to go on to the party. Today, you're going to be invited, just like we were by coach, to go to the party. To give your life to Christ, you're going to be invited. You're going to have an opportunity to make a decision that says, I want to to join him on the straight and narrow. I want to join him and, and, and give my life to him so that I can go and celebrate for an eternity. I'm going to invite you to, to be a part of that. But that, invi- that invitation involves a decision for you. It's going to bring you to a crossroads, an intersection. And you're going to have to decide, which road am I going to take? All right? So as we talk about this story of the resurrection, I want you to be uh, mindful of, of the decision that Christ 
has offered to you. But in the meantime, I want to talk about these women. These women. These women in Mark 16 are perhaps the most unsung heroes in all of Scripture. In a culture and in a day and time where uh, women were uh, not valued at all, they become the heroes of the greatest story ever told. These women were the same women who had stayed with Jesus from the early days in Galilee all the way through his death on the cross. We learn in, in the Gospels that these women had stayed with him as long as they could while he was hanging on the cross, nailed to it, suffering and dying. When the manly disciples had fled in fear, when like Peter they had said, I do not know him, when the crowds had turned on him and became his accusers, Mary, Mary and Salome were among the few who had stayed until the end, committed to Jesus. And now, at the very first opportunity, at the dawn of the day after the Sabbath, these three women were headed to the tomb. They had been with him to the end, and they were coming back as soon as they could. And I love the question, because the question that they ask as they're on their way to the tomb is perhaps what makes them even greater than their commitment to Christ. Verse 3 simply says this, They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? I want us to think about the implications of this question. You have these three ladies who have spent lots of money on spices. They have gotten up very early. They're going to the tomb, and they have zero idea how they're actually going to get in. They have no plan. I can imagine the conversation. Hey, Mary, you figured out how we're going to move the stone? I don't know, Mary. You got any ideas, Salome? Nope. Let's go anyway. <laughs> It almost doesn't make sense. They're going without knowing. They have no clue how this stone is going to be moved. They have no clue how they're, they're going to do this, but they just go knowing that it's the right thing for them to do. You know, I think sometimes, just like these ladies, we look for Jesus behind the rock. More specifically, behind our rocks. Behind the things in our life that are hard, behind the things in our life that seem unmovable, behind the things in our life that really keep us from being in the presence of Jesus. There's a ton of rocks that keep us from being with him. Busy schedules seems to top the list most of the times in conversation. And we find ourselves asking, Jesus, where are you in all of this craziness? Maybe we can all empathize with Josh a little bit, with four kids. And you say, Jesus, why in the world would you let my kids drive me this insane? Where are you, Jesus? I thought kids were supposed to be a blessing. You can laugh. It's okay. Why am I having a third one? I don't know yet. <clears throat> For some of us, our rock is past hurt. And we think to ourselves, I can never get past the hurt that I experienced. The pain of that experience or of that season of experiences is just too much. Jesus, how could you ever let something like this happen? 
For others, our rock becomes a lack of facts. And you, I can never get past the, the lack of facts. I couldn't go to the tomb like these three ladies did. I can't see it. I, can't, I, yeah, I question whether Scripture is a real thing, whether it's true. I, I just can't get enough facts. Jesus, if you're really real, prove it. For some of us, our rock is, is just not being able to simply to trust something that we can't see. We say, Jesus, where are you? If you were really real, why didn't you just stay here on earth? Like, if you're God and you can do whatever you want, why did you leave? Why did you ascend into heaven? And still for others of us, the simple fact is we like our life the way it is. Jesus, don't mess with this life that I'm building for myself. I like my life. I like the trajectory of my life. And that becomes the very rock that stands between us and Christ. We look for Jesus behind our rocks. You know the good news? He's not there. He's not there. Our rocks don't change the resurrection. He rolls those away too, right? Not only did he roll the stone away from the tomb centuries ago, but he rolls the rocks of our lives away as well, removing from us the sin that we carry, the sin that keeps us from him. You know, God is constantly doing unbelievable things. And if your idea of God can be kept in this neat and tidy box of your suburban life, then maybe you don't know the living God that raised Jesus from the dead. Too often we like our God to be something that we can uh, control, something that we can get our minds wrapped around, something that, that we're comfortable with. But if we serve that kind of God, is he really a God at all? You see, the God that I know, the God that created the world, the God that sent his only son, the God that raised Jesus from the dead, does unbelievable things. He does things and he is someone that we can't fully comprehend. And he's always ahead of us, just as Jesus was ahead of the disciples that Easter morning. Just because we can't see past our problems doesn't mean that Jesus can't. And so we read the good news in 4 through 6. It says, looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. Today, really quickly, I want to talk about three things that we see in this passage that don't affect the fact that Jesus is not there. Three things that we often try to put in front of our faith and put in front of our belief in God that don't change the fact that Jesus raised from the dead. The first is doubt. Doubt doesn't change the fact that he is not there. You know, the ladies doubted their own ability. They, they knew on their way to the cross, or on their way to the tomb, pardon me, that they couldn't move the stone. They had doubt, but it didn't stop them, and Jesus was already gone. They knew they couldn't move the stone, but what they didn't know was that Jesus had already moved it for them. He had risen even before them. The grave was open and empty, waiting to give hope to those who were willing to walk towards the unknown. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says this, So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. 
I love this quote from uh, uh, Walt Almond. I almost called him Walter. It's probably his name. Walt Almond. It says, doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. Doubt your doubts before you doubt your beliefs. You know, doubt isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's something that, that shows us that we do have faith because when we doubt, we continue to move forward towards what we know to be true. So even when we doubt that Jesus is there, even when we doubt that, that he's working in our lives, even when we struggle to see him in the hard times, we know that that doesn't change the fact that Jesus is not there. Doubt doesn't change it, but neither do our emotions. And this one is tough for us. Emotions don't change the fact that Jesus is not there. These ladies, they flipped out. <laughs> they flipped out when, when the stone was rolled away. In fact, we read in another gospel that when one of the ladies saw that the stone was rolled away, she turned around and ran back to the rest of the disciples right then. She, like, she didn't even get in the tomb. It's like, oh my goodness. We read in the scriptures that they were overwhelmed by what was going on. And all that time, Jesus was already out on the road ahead of them, revealing himself on the road to Emmaus. He'd even sent an angel to explain the situation and to minister to them in the middle of their frenzied chaos. You know, in the midst of the overwhelming anxiety and the unknown, the truth was still the truth. Jesus wasn't there. That is good news. You know, when it comes to our emotions, we, we have to wrestle with those. Like, they're real things, but they shouldn't be the things that define us or guide us because we know that the truth is that he's not there, and that is what guides us. Proverbs 4.23 is a well-known verse that says, Guard your hearts above all else, for it is the source of life. You know, the, the tough part about this verse is that guarding our hearts sometimes means not being driven by our emotions, but recognizing our emotions and instead of acting out of the truth of the gospel. That no matter what happens, that no matter how crazy life gets, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we give our lives to him, he will be with us always, just as we heard in Josh's story. You know, if I could uh, change one thing about parenting, I'm going to do this one day. I'm gonna, I would like to invent a plate that automatically changes the food on the plate whenever my kids cry about it and say they like something else better. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's like, hey, we're having macaroni and cheese tonight, but I wanted hot dogs. Like, macaroni and cheese is the only thing that you ever eat, and now you want hot dogs, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invent a plate that changes foods whenever my kids cry about it. It's unrealistic, right? But in the same way, we can feel whatever we want about Jesus. We will have good days and bad days. We will have angry days and happy days. We can be uncomfortable with the truth of his word. We can be frustrated that he hasn't fixed our problems. We can be angry that we're suffering through something. But it doesn't change what's on the plate. It doesn't change who he is or that he's alive or that he's not in the tomb anymore. Those things never change, no matter how we feel about them. Thank goodness. Can you imagine a life where the creator, God, was always changing? It would be terrible. It would be chaos. But we serve a God that doesn't change. And because of that, we have to know that our emotions don't change the fact that he's not there. Last but not least, this belief does not change the fact that he's not there. You know, these disciples, these uh, 12 guys, now 11 because of Judas's falling away, 
they're an interesting case in and of themselves. Verse 14 says this, Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. Those that the ladies told didn't believe. But that didn't mean that Jesus was in the tomb. He was not there. Everyone these ladies told didn't believe them. We see it time and time again in the, in the back half of chapter 16. They would tell someone and they wouldn't believe. They would tell someone and they wouldn't believe. You see, there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. Doubt says, I have no way of knowing 100%. Disbelief says, I choose not to believe. Another way of saying it is, is doubt is still going even though I, I'm not knowing. Disbelief is knowing and still not going. The disciples were doing that. But just because they didn't believe it didn't mean the tomb wasn't empty. And we see even greater the grace of God in that these 11 guys that, that didn't believe that he was not there become the very ones who helped to initiate the movement of the church that you're still a part of today. He was not there. In fact, these guys watched as Jesus disproved their unbelief over and over again. He appeared in their midst. He sent the Holy Spirit. These guys saw people healed and, and so much more. Not because they were really good dudes, but because Jesus doesn't change. Dr. Mooneyham, one of our pastor elders, you know, you know a guy is wise when uh, people start sending you quotes from one of your pastor elders. So this is the quote that was sent to me in a text. He said, the mark of good leadership is being able to press on within the uncertainty. Isn't that what faith is all about? Isn't that being a Christ-centered leader? Pressing on in the face of unknown. You see, as we think about these three things, doubt and our emotions and disbelief and how, how who we are and what we think really doesn't change who God is, it causes us to step way back and say, what should our response to that be? What am I to do knowing that the God of the universe does not change and here I am, I'm all up and down and life is crazy. How do I deal with that? The solution is to stop living under your rock, under the weight of your sin, and to go tell people how Jesus rolled your rock away. Verses 7 and 8 in chapter 16, it says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. They were afraid at first, but then they begin to tell as we read the rest of the chapter. And in verse 15, Jesus says to all who would hear, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." You see, in spite of their doubt, in spite of their emotions, in spite of what was likely disbelief at time, these ladies initiated a movement by placing their faith and trust in the fact that Jesus Christ was not there. Just as he had said, he had risen from the dead. So in faith, not knowing what it would mean for their lives, not understanding how it would change their story, not knowing what kind of effects it would have on their, their social status or, quite frankly, their existence. This could cost them their life. These ladies did the one thing that they were asked to do. They told people the story of Jesus Christ. They told the story. 
You know, I think in our society, in our culture, and let's bring it all the way home, like in our church, we oftentimes worry about people's success more than we do their salvation. We want to see people have a good life. We want to see people have a good home and a good job and a good family. And the Lord does too. But more important than all of those things is the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. The grace that rolls our rock away and allows us to spend an eternity with him in heaven. See, church, we can serve people, and that's good. We can help people in their times of need, and, and that's good. We can build relationships with people and, and love them really well. We can be the best in the, in the world at loving people. We can even teach people how to be morally good, how to live lives that, that look right. But if we don't tell them, if we don't use our, our words in our mouth and say to them that Jesus died on a cross, paid for their sins, and came back to life to prepare a place in heaven for them, nothing changes for eternity. If we don't tell them that they can make a decision to follow Christ and give them that opportunity, then nothing really changes in the grand scheme of things. So my question to you is this. If Jesus is alive and he calls us to go and tell and to, to live a life with him, how do we live a life worth telling our grandkids about? How do we live a life worth telling our grandkids about? Is it by success? Is it by a good home? Is it by good values? I would submit to you that it looks something different from that. That may be a part of it. But it ultimately looks like placing your faith in a God that you can't get ahead of. A God that is out in front of you on the road calling you to join him. And when you place your faith in him, then chase him hard and fast. Take, take risks. Attempt hard things. Do things that are difficult or that you might fail at, even as adults. For some reason, we've been trained that we're not supposed to fail. Risk being left out, sold out, kicked out, and punched out to share the story of Jesus with anyone who will listen to you. Is it worth it to change someone's eternity? I'd submit to you that that's how you live a life worth telling your grandkids about. What does it look like to live that life out over a lifetime? I want to give you one picture. Your picture could look completely different, but I want to give you one picture of that. Uh, I want to show you a picture of a couple. Her name is Randy and Kathy Arnett. Randy and Kathy Arnett were uh, about 30 years old when they felt like God was asking them to be missionaries. And so they applied through the International Mission Board to be missionaries, and they were rejected, all right, first. They were rejected. How many of you all at that point are like, must not be meant to be? I laid my fleece out, and God said, no. Where's the mortgage? Sign me up. They couldn't get away from it. So they had two daughters, applied again, and God sent them into the mission field. In their 30s, two kids were pastoring a normal church, quote-unquote. And God sent them into the mission field. And for more than 30 years, they served in Africa. A couple of weeks ago, Randy and Kathy were still on the mission field. 
Their daughter's now grown. She's still on the mission field. And they had a driver in Africa. The driver got into an accident. And they were killed in a car wreck in Africa. How tragic. How terrible. You read the, the write-up, the article on it. I was reading through it, and I got down to the last line, and this blew me away. Because here I am, I'm thinking, man, I just want my kids to have a good life. I want my kids to be comfortable. I want my kids to be safe. I'm not sure I'm thinking about that question. What would, you know, how do I live a life that I can tell my grandkids about? I just want my kids to be safe. And I loved how at the very end, they were inviting people to the funeral for Randy and Kathy. And the last line said this, their daughters plan to honor their parents by wearing African clothing to the funeral. And they invite others to also wear African clothing if they would feel led. You know why I love that? I love that because here are two girls that grew up in Africa and there was, life was probably way tougher than I could ever imagine. But they watched as their parents did something that was full of faith. They watched as their parents took risks to tell people about the story of Jesus Christ. And I can't help but get convicted myself and wonder, will my kids be able to say the same thing? Will my grandkids be able to do that? I bet that was a big old party, that funeral. In African garb, probably some African music. I bet it was amazing. And I bet it was amazing because they know the same truth that we're talking about today. That when you go to the tomb that Jesus was buried in, he is not there. He is not there. When we risk it all, we rise with Christ. We know that Christ is not in the tomb. And we know from the rest of the passage that he has ascended into heaven and he is preparing a place for us. You say, well, who is us? Who's not there? When we continue to celebrate eternal life and the victory over death with Christ in heaven, we won't be asking where Jesus is. We're going to know where he is at that point. The question that remains is whether you will be there. Will you be there? George Truett was a preacher, and he told the story of a young girl, 14 years old. And on a Sunday morning, she had heard the gospel, and she had realized that she had a decision to make. That if she didn't place her trust and faith in Christ, that she was not going to be in heaven with him. And so that Sunday, she made that decision, and she came down front, and he said, I was watching her because she kept looking back at someone in the crowd. And he said, all of a sudden, she left, and she walked back into the crowd, and she went and she sat down beside her dad. And then the next thing he knew, they both came back up together. He said, later, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I, you know, I wasn't sure what had happened. And he said, somebody who was sitting near to them, he went and asked them, he's like, what was said? What was going on? 
And he said, this is what the little girl said to her dad. She said, Papa, you and I told Mom that we would meet her in the better world. We told her that when she left us last year, and I want to keep the promise. I want us to settle it, Papa. I went forward that they would pray with me and and help me to make the decision to trust in Christ. And I thought you would come. She looked at her dad and said, I want us to settle it tonight. I want us to keep our promise to mom. But I can't stay down there without you. She couldn't imagine being apart from her dad. She said, since mom died, we've been together. I never left you except when I had to. I can't go without you now. I, I need you. So she looked at her dad. She said, I want you to surrender to Christ tonight, but I can't go without you. And I've come back to ask, will you surrender your life to Christ as well? Can you imagine if your inability to place your faith and trust in Christ was keeping your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, another family member from tasting and seeing that the Lord is good? We know that Jesus isn't behind the rock. He's not in the tomb. We know that he is preparing a place for us in heaven, and we're all invited. Scripture tells us that the Lord desires that all would be saved. And so the question that remains is simply this. Have you trusted Christ with your life? Have you received the gift of eternal life? Our salvation is something that Christ desires to give us complete confidence in. And when we have received the gift of eternal life, we know that we will see Jesus in heaven one day. We know that we are going to the party because he gives us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of that inheritance. If you don't have that confidence today, if you are unsure, if you just said yes to coming today because somebody asked you to come, but now you're convicted that maybe you don't know Jesus, Maybe you've come for a long time and you realize you've just been coming because you thought it was the good and the right thing to do and you really don't know who Jesus is. You can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now, right here, today. As the band comes back up, I just want us to pray together and I want us all to be praying for those who don't know Jesus. I want us all to be praying for those who have never said, I trust Jesus with my life. And as we pray, we're going to pray together, and and there's going to be a prayer that we can pray. If if you've never trusted him, pray with us. Place your faith in him, and and you will be saved. And for any of you who have trusted Christ for the first time during that prayer, for those who realize you've never really trusted him, you've just been going through the motions, myself and others are going to be back in this corner by the, the curtain back here. Not behind the curtain, just by it. And we'd just love to pray with you and help you figure out your next steps in Christ. So as the band comes, would you join me in prayer? Father, We put so many things 
between us and you. So many rocks that become barriers to truly living a life of faith. Father, I just pray today, and I join, uh, I join this church in praying for all those who don't know you, for all those who have never come to a point of surrender and faith in Jesus Christ. God, we know that so many in, in this place, in churches all across our community right now, and in, in, in people who are still sitting in their homes right now, God, we know that there are so many who don't know your son Jesus and who are facing eternal separation from him. And so, God, we just, we just pray for them right now. We pray, God, that you would draw people to yourself through your word, through whatever is necessary. And, Father, for those who are here in this place right now that have never placed their trust in you and they want to do it today, that they want the confidence of knowing that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. God, we join them in this prayer. And we just say, Father, I've sinned. There are rocks in my life that I've never dealt with or that I'm trying to deal with on my own. Would you please forgive me, Father? Forgive me. Take away my guilt, take away my sin. Because I know that you died on the cross to pay for those sins. But then you came back to life three days later so that I could live forever with you. Father, I believe that story. I believe in who you are. I may not have all the other details figured out. There's still some doubt that's lingering. But Father, I believe that your son Jesus is God. And he loves me. Give me faith. Father, for any who are praying that with me today, I pray that you would give them courage to step out, to come, to engage in this new life in Christ. Just like the ladies who didn't know how they were going to move the stone, but they went towards the tomb anyway. God, I pray that you would give these folks today the courage to step out and say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I've never believed, and I'm, I'm finally placing my trust in Jesus. I've tried to do this all on my own. Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to do just that today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.